Welcome to Fight Back Radio, the Marxist voice of labor and youth in Canada, and the best source for revolutionary analysis of current events, perspectives, and theory. The following episode is from Marxist University, a series of discussions held in the fall of 2020 to introduce people to the most fundamental and pressing Marxist ideas. The capitalist system is in a deep crisis. This is recognized by everyone, including the bourgeoisie. However, there is a lot of confusion as to why the system is in crisis. In this talk, Fightback editor Alex Grant discusses why capitalism is failing, Marxist Economics 101. Good. So, question. Why is capitalism failing? Why is capitalism failing? That is the purpose of this meeting, to figure that out. And I hope everybody agrees that capitalism is failing. Because if you think that this is a healthy society, well, you're definitely in the wrong meeting. Because there's there's incredible crisis out there. In Canada, internationally, uh, just to detail some statistics, uh, in the, the aftermath of, in the first uh, few months of COVID, 3 million people lost their jobs. There was a 13% reduction in GDP. The stock market, the TSX, lost about 40% of its value. And, and if you walk around major cities today, you will see increasing homelessness, tent cities, reaching different sectors of the population than that have been reached by homelessness for generations. There is an extreme crisis going on. But uh, if you're an apologist for capitalism, you'll say, well, that's just COVID. That's just COVID. Well, even COVID, they have dealt with that terribly, utterly terribly, that they've done everything in their power not to protect the population. They've always put money ahead of people. And ironically, that actually serves to destroy the economy. A, there's a, a quite interesting graph that showed that the countries with the highest incidence of COVID-19 relative to population also had the worst economic outcome. That just shows their extreme short-termist viewpoint that they're not able to see, to plan for the future, have confidence that you take the public uh, health measures in order to avoid the pandemic, uh, that you take short-term economic pain and that helps you in the long term. No, the, the, the worst place, you know, one of the worst places is right-wing governments, United States, Brazil, India, where they've just uh, opened, you know, not cared about the people, not cared about the pandemic and just tried to run the economy. Ironically, that ends up destroying the economy. But even in Canada, things have not been good by any means. But it's easy to write it off and say, well, you know, this crisis, it's just COVID. It's just COVID. Well, that's not true. 
And in fact, if you look back at previous capitalist crises, you look back at 2008, they said that was subprime mortgage. You look back at the crisis in 2000, that was the dot-com bubble. If you look back to the economic crisis of the 1970s, that was high oil prices. Uh, all the way back to the South Sea bubble and the, uh, and the tulip bubble, if uh, anybody knows their economic history, look that up on Wikipedia. And they always try to find some excuse that capitalism is supposed to, supposed to be the most efficient way of assigning goods and services. The invisible hand of the market uh, is supposed to uh, equilibrate and assign resources and be for the best of all people in the best of all possible capitalist worlds. Well, it's not true. It's blatantly not true. And in fact, the, uh, the strategists of capitalism have got no explanation for the cause of crisis. They don't think there is any crisis under capitalism. They think capitalism is an equilibrium system. It's not an equilibrium, it's a wrecking ball. It, it, it uh, swings from boom to slump, to slump, to boom, to crisis, to crisis, to crisis. And the capitalists are totally incapable of understanding why. And the only people who've actually been able to understand why capitalism is in crisis have been the Marxists. That in fact, the, uh, uh, the greatest work of Marx was Das Kapital, three volumes, and the biggest work of Marx, Marxism, is about capitalism. It's analyzing the structure and the cycle and the processes of capitalism. And there Marx explained how capitalism inherently, inherently um, tends towards crisis. And it's vitally important that us as socialists, as uh, student uh, activists, as intelligent workers, understand how capitalism doesn't work, how capitalism uh, robs the workers, and how capitalism can be overthrown, and what is the alternative. So that's what we're going to discuss today. That COVID has clearly made the crisis worse. This is not any normal crisis. It is a capitalist crisis with a pandemic on top of it. But a healthy society could sustain a pandemic. A healthy society could take the measures to prioritize public health and, uh, and do the necessary research and uh, do the necessary social distancing and everything that needs to be done, shut down the parts of the economy that are not essential and could weather this storm. But capitalism has shown itself completely incapable of weathering this storm. But even though COVID itself was an unpredictable accident, that uh, nobody could tell that uh, this specific virus would turn up at this specific time, Marxists have been talking about a, an economic crisis coming uh, for quite a while now. Actually, if you don't take my word for it, go and look on our website. Go and look on marxist.ca and marxist.com and look at our website. And we have been predicting 
an ep economic crisis uh, for the last few years. In fact, I wrote an article uh, approximately a year ago uh, titled Explaining the Coming Crisis of Capitalism that uh, sort of went into the growing contradictions of capitalism. And in, in that article, we said that it just needs a spark. It just needs something to set it off. You know, could be a trade war, could be a, a, a bankruptcy, could be a, a debt crisis, could be any number of things. Uh, it turned out that the spark that set off this crisis was the pandemic. But it was a crisis waiting to happen. And, uh, and, and so I'm going to explain to give uh, uh, the listeners today a, a, an explanation of why capitalist crises happen in general and why this one happened in particular. Now, the fundamental contradiction of capitalism is that workers are not paid the full value of the le their labor. That workers work eight, 10, 12 more hours a day, put in that much value, but they do not receive that full value back in wages. That what do workers receive back in wages? They're not paid for their labor. They're not paid for their labor. They're paid for what Marx called their labor power, their ability to work. That uh, labor power, wages, uh, is a commodity just like any other. That workers sell their ability to work to buyers, if they can find them. Those buyers are the capitalists. Workers sell that commodity to the capitalists. And then the capitalists get to use that commodity as they like. And the use of a worker's ability to work is a day's labor. But the value of the ability to work is not the same as a day's labor. The, the value of every commodity is the amount of time to reproduce that commodity. And how much time does it take to reproduce a worker? Well, you have to, a worker has got to have enough food, clothing, shelter to, uh, for subsistence. So they are physically capable of getting up and going to work the following day. They've got to be educated. So there's the, uh, the labor that takes to educate that worker. They've then, uh, there's also got to be enough uh, value to reproduce the working class, to support a family and children for the next generation of wage slaves. There's no point, um, you know, exploiting your workers so hard that there's no working class in the next generation. Although in some periods they do this and you've seen in many countries, actually a collapse in um, uh, fertility rates. The fertility rates in many Western countries are, it's, I think it's like 1.5 children per woman, which is not a replacement of the population. And, and finally, there is a moral element. 
There's a moral element of that is de uh, largely determined by the class struggle, actually, that by trade unions, uh, workers organizing to uh, fight against the capitalist class of typical things that are deemed to be necessary to survive and live in a certain society over and above mere subsistence. So, and, and that changes in different countries, changes in different climates and changes in different epochs. Uh, many people now have uh, a cell phone, a smartphone in the West, actually not just the West, uh, but uh, you know, go back 20 years and that, and that was a luxury and go back another 20 years and it didn't exist, right? So uh, those four elements, those four elements uh, make up the components of the value of labor power, the value of wages. But typically, for example, if a worker does a 10 hour day, the value of those four components, subsistence, education, reproduction, and moral uh, component, typically does not uh, encompass the full value of a working day. So they might work an eight hour day, but the value of their wages is equivalent to four hours work. That's the value of labor power. That's the value of wages. And what happens to that extra four, four hours of value that the worker puts in. Well, that's where profits come from. That's where profits come from. Uh, profits to the capitalist, profits to the banker in form of interest, profits to the landowner in the form of rent. So that's all the surplus value. And that's how cap the capitalists get all their money from the unpaid labor of the working class. The uh, the capitalists do functionally do nothing, right? When they say, oh, I, you know, this capitalist uh, built this or this capitalist uh, uh, created that. Bull, total bull, right? Have you ever seen uh, a capitalist down on the line actually building anything? How many capitalists have build, uh, built houses or, or offices or schools or hospitals? No, that's done by working class people. Everything is built by working class people. Everything is made by working class people. Not a light shines, not a wheel turns without the kind permission of the working class. All the capitalists do is take the surplus and decide what to do with it. Some of it, they uh, consume themselves. They uh, hang out on yachts, they get private jets all of the luxuries, but uh, they monopolize the, uh, the social surplus of society and a minority decides how to, uh, what to do with that wealth for profit, not for need, not for the need of the people, but for profit. And that's the, the fundamental condition of capitalism. This is a society that produces for profit and not for need. Okay, but what's wrong with that? Okay, apart from the, uh, the unfairness of it all, the majority of us work uh, for, mere, for barely above subsistence and a minority who do not work then monopolize all that wealth 
and make have all the power and make all the decisions in society. Okay, it's damn unfair. We, I think we can all agree on that. But uh, why wouldn't it work? Why wouldn't it work? Well, here's the problem. So the, the capitalists, who are they selling their commodities to? Like, for example, the Canadian economy is approximately $2 trillion. Canadian GDP is roughly $2 trillion. Let, but let's say workers' wages are only $1 trillion. Well, $2 trillion of stuff have just been made by the workers. But the workers have, can only buy back $1 trillion. So $2 trillion have been made, and only $1 trillion can be bought back by the workers. Here you have what Marx called the inherent crisis of overproduction, right? Overproduction by capitalism, that the workers do not have the wages, do not have the wealth in order to buy back the stuff that they have just produced. Uh, but, actually, but if you, you came to a sort of a, a, a clever objection to this, then capitalism, you know, if, if that just was the situation, well, the capitalism would always be in crisis. Well, the capitalists have ways of getting around this crisis that out of that surplus that the workers are not able to buy back, what do they do? They reinvest it. They reinvest it in new production, in new productive techniques. They develop the productive forces. They develop machinery. They uh, develop new markets. You know, I talked about cell phones. Cell phones are a new market. That uh, when, uh, you know, you have Blackberry, uh, I guess Canadian co companies sort of started the smartphone market, but then failed to properly exploit it. And were taken over by Apple and Android and Google. Right. So that was when that started, there's great profits within the smartphone market. But now you've had that. Now you've had the law of diminishing returns. And really, the new smartphones aren't that different from last year's, even though they tried to make them so they go bust every year or two. So you're forced to buy a new one. But so, so, so they reinvest it. They also export that capital. They export that surplus onto foreign markets. That and build up the productive forces in those countries. This is the economic basis of imperialism, right? Rather than build uh, factories at home, where well, you can build them in Mexico or Indonesia or China. Well, that also requires a military force to make sure that all that exported capital uh, doesn't get expropriated by uh, foreign workers or governments. Right. So that is the uh, the economic base of imperialism. And, they, and the other way that they can expand the market and put off the crisis is uh, by debt. Debt is essentially spending tomorrow's money today. And if workers go into debt, then they can buy more than the one trillion dollars of their wages and uh, expand the market and buy more stuff, which is all well and good in the short term, 
but in the uh, but eventually that debt has to be paid back and it doesn't just have to be paid back as it is it has to be paid back with interest so this is the cycle of capitalism this is the uh, the basic cycle of capitalism the boom slump cycle that they uh, uh, they invest they create more productive capacity that then they create more uh they they export capital which builds up productive capacity abroad which then creates more and they make the workers go into debt who can consume more for a period until they can't all of these things serve to increase productive capacity until the market can no longer sustain it so the the market for consumer goods can no longer sustain it and the market for machinery for capital goods can no longer sustain it because why would you invest in capital goods why would you invest in machinery if there's already enough capacity in the existing machinery to make everything that anyone is willing to buy that is the fundamental crisis of overproduction and 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 there's some very good uh, statistics which show this to be absolutely true uh, you can see it uh, we've quoted this in a number of articles on uh, marxist.ca that one important statistic is called capacity utilization capacity utilization is the degree that the uh, machinery is being run so if a if a factory is ca capable of producing you know so many items in a day say 1000 items in a day are they actually producing 1000 are they producing 900 800 whatever well back in the 1970s capacity utilization was uh, approximately 80 85% so they would run the machinery at a sort of a 80, 85% rate. Over the last 40 years, there have been a steady decline in capacity utilization. And now it's regularly under 70%. So why would the capitalist invest in this environment? Why invest when the existing uh, machinery can create are more than enough uh, that the market can buy. See, there is the crisis of overproduction. And this, and this has been present uh, for a number of years, just waiting for that spark to set it off. Uh, the, the other very important symptom of the crisis of overproduction is if you, uh, if, if you actually go to the Statistics Canada website, you can see uh, where various sectors of society are keeping their investments. So are they you know, investing in Canadian companies? Are they invest investing abroad? And, and what is an increasingly important uh, area where big business is keeping its wealth it's in cash, dead money. It's a trillion dollars. It's actually gone up 
from about $600 billion five years ago. Five years ago, they kept $600 billion of money called dead money, doing nothing, uninvested, because they had no idea what to do with it. They were just sitting on this hoard of cash, like you know a, a dragon from a Tolkien novel, and doing absolutely nothing with it. Now, the purpose of you know the ruling class, the purpose of the capitalists, is they're supposed to be you know the captains of this industry who know how to run society and know how to run the economy. Well, they've abjectly failed. Uh, they couldn't. Uh, they couldn't uh, run society. It's in utter crisis. They created massive inequality and poverty, but they couldn't even figure out what to do with billions and billions of dollars in order to invest, uh, to push society forward. Well, it was $600 billion in 2015. Now it's over a trillion dollars Canadian. And there's similar statistics in the United States, in Britain, in France, in Germany, all the major capitalist countries. They're just sitting on mountains of cash that they cannot productively invest, that uh, they've got, uh, and, and growth rates are totally, previously were totally anemic, one or 2%, less than 2%. So this is the sort of inherent crisis of overproduction. And Marx explained this, Marx and Engels explained this in the Communist Manifesto, where they said, how do, do, do the capitalists get out of this crisis? Well, by limiting, by, uh, by making the next crisis even worse. Now, the, the main way, the only real sustainable way for the capitalists to get out of the crisis is massive closures. Shut down factories, lay off millions of people. Uh, one economist called this the creative destruction of capital to rebalance supply and demand to solve the crisis of overproduction. So productive, bring productive capacity down so it is uh, back in line with the, the market in, in the economy. The trouble is you lay off millions of people and they get a little bit upset if they can't pay their rent, if they can't put food on the table, that this actually has uh, revolutionary conclusions, that the question really arises, who pays for the crisis? Who pays for the crisis? Is it the ruling class? Is it the bosses and the bankers who actually caused the crisis, who've been benefiting and monopolizing all the money and wealth? Or are they gonna make the poor, are they gonna make the workers pay for the crisis? Of course, they're going to try and make the poor pay for the crisis. That's what they always do. And but if you look back in history, you will see that uh, the major driving force of the majority of revolutions is the question, who pays for the crisis? Who pays? That was the driving force behind uh, the English Civil War, the English Revolution, the French Revolution, the, the American Revolution, who who. Uh, who has the ability to tax and who has the ability to trade, right? That, those are the major motor forces of so many of the revolutions in human history. And that uh, is the condition that we're in right now. There is the mother of all crises and 
who gets who pays for it who's going to be forced to pay for it that question has not been answered all right so what are the some of the ideas out there in order how to get over the crisis well in the last sort of uh, great depression was you know 1929 and went throughout the 1930s and back then governments had the philosophy known as laissez-faire and this was the policy of essentially do nothing that the invisible hand of the market solves everything you let uh, the market go and things will end up great eventually bit of pain but it'll sort itself out well, what actually happened in between 1929 and 1933? Well, over 4,000 banks went under. Unemployment rates went up to 25%. There was mass homelessness, an utter crisis. And you know, companies went under, banks went under. Uh, the, the idea that the invisible hand of the market solves things uh, was shown to be totally false, totally false. And today, it, both right-wing and reformist left-wing uh, economists have abandoned laissez-faire. They, they all sort of look what happened with all the bank failures in uh, 29 to 33. I guess you've got some libertarians believe in laissez-faire, that the state should just stay out of the economy. Uh, actually, although the right wingers, even yeah, the, the right wing parties do say the state should stay out of the economy. They say that a lot. But when they're in power, they don't do it. There's always corporate welfare. There's way more welfare for the corporations than there is ever given to working class people. So there's massive corporate welfare, uh, which the libertarians I guess, consistently uh, criticize them for. Like, you're not a right winger, you're, you're in favor of this corporate welfare, right? But uh, if the, the right wing uh, media and politicians were a bit more honest, well, they've come over to the, uh, uh, the economic philosophy of monetarism. And what this has been categorized as is socialism for the rich, and free market capitalism for the poor. So the monetarists be believe that the state should intervene to bail out the banks and big business, but shouldn't, but should left, leave the working class, uh, uh, leave, leave the working class to fend for itself. That's uh, sort of Hayek, uh, Milton Friedman, these types. And it's a total hypocrisy, it's an utter hypocrisy. You know, they said if capitalism works, why is there so much state intervention? It wouldn't need it. The fact is that capitalism doesn't work and there have been trillions of dollars internationally uh, gifted to the banks and big business to bail them out. It, it actually totally sort of negates the logic of capitalism that they've, you know, it's supposed to be, they take the risks and they get the rewards, but there's no risks. They're just bailed out by uh, the state. They're just bailed out by the state. Now, the other idea out there, now actually, and monetary, I'll tell you why monetarism doesn't work, that it believe, okay, you bail out the, 
uh, the rich, you bail out the, the bankers, but you get that money from austerity, from cutting social programs, cutting healthcare, cutting education, cutting, 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 and, and therefore you balance the budget. Well, the problem with that, that uh, they, uh, they did that in Greece. If you put through austerity and you cut back on the public sector and you cut back on services, well then people, working class people have no money to buy stuff. So you've just, you, you make the crisis worse because working class, you, the, the market collapses because workers are just struggling to survive and they only buy what they absolutely have to. And sometimes they don't even have the money to buy what they have to. That's what happened in Greece uh, with austerity. Okay, but then you've got the Keynesianists. The Keynesianists who believe that uh, the state needs to intervene and go into debt or even potentially tax the rich to, uh, uh, to create social programs or build public works. This is what happened also in the 1930s between 1933 and 37, that the, there was the New Deal that there's all these big ideas that we need new deal, new new deals, green new deal, this new deal, that other new deal, and harking back to the 1930s as though this solved the crisis. Well, uh, for a period, it got a certain fictitious economy going. There was growth between uh, 33 and 37, but at the end of the day, once that uh, a government intervention was taken away, the economy went back into crisis. The economy went back into crisis from 37 to 39. There was a, a new economic slump that uh, the Keynesianist methods did not work. And they also ended up being inflationary. It, di it didn't actually solve the crisis of overproduction. It's inflationary because, okay, you go into debt, where are you going to get that money from? And eventually that debt needs to be paid back. Or you print money. Well, if you print money, that ends up being inflationary. Every, everybody ends up poorer, functionally poorer, because the prices of goods and services goes up and up and up and up, right? You just saw that in Weimar Republic, Germany where they were printing money, there was hyperinflation, and people were going around with uh, wheelbarrows of money trying to spend it before it became worthless, right? That's the problem with printing money. So Keynesianism is, uh, doesn't fundamentally solve the crisis of capitalism. Actually, it's named after a guy called John Maynard Keynes, and, and, and he wasn't a socialist. Actually, John Maynard Keynes uh, said, in the class war, you will find me on the side of the enlightened bourgeoisie. The, his ideas, even though today the so-called left have taken up Keynesianist ideas, well, today, uh, it, you know, he, he was actually trying to save capitalism. There's nothing socialist about deficit financing. 
it's trying to save the capitalist economy. It's, uh, and, and the problem is if you get the money from taxing the rich for, for this, if you get the money for state investment from taxing the rich uh, and you keep the rich, the capitalists in control of the economy, if you tax them, if you take the money away from them, they won't invest. That leads to a crisis in the economy if the capitalists do not invest. If you go into debt, well, that can work for a period, but it ends up having diminishing returns and needs to go into more and more and more and more into debt. And eventually debt servicing becomes the biggest government department. So it cannot be sustained. It cannot be sustained. Or finally, you don't tax the rich, you don't go into debt, instead you print money. Well, that eventually ends up as inflationary and, and leads to a, another explosion of class struggle. The Keynesianist met methods of the post-war period led to hyperinflation in the 1970s and strike waves in country after country after country as workers were trying to get their wages to keep up with inflation. So this is the sort of crisis of the system. Now, what, what are the capitalists of today actually doing? Well, it's a combination of debt. I say it's a combination of all three, if you think about it. That they are, are on the one side, the Canadian government has uh, put up a budget projection of something like $350 billion of deficit. That is the largest budget deficit in Canadian history. It is 17% of GDP is being added to the, uh, uh, the country's debt. And they say, oh, no, this isn't a problem because debt servicing is very cheap. Debt servicing is very cheap. And that is true right now that uh, there's very low interest rates. So, OK, debt servicing is cheap today. But eventually, if inflation kicks in, then those interest rates is going to start going up and the debt servicing will get a lot more expensive. So they can get away with it for a period of time. And actually, one of the reasons why the interest rates are so very low is that they're printing money. They're printing $5 billion every week of what they call quantitative easing, that the, these Bank of Canada is buying government debt, which is functionally, you know, it's, it's creating money out of nothing, uh, creating incredible bubbles, financial bubbles. And, the, uh, uh, and, and this uh, hasn't been inflationary yet because nobody's buying anything. So there's really a deflationary pressure. But uh, as soon as things start picking up, well, this reduced value of money because they've been producing money, printing money, well, that's going to lead to inflation. And then the government debt is going to be a lot more expensive to maintain. And then the other thing they're doing is bailouts. The right wing loves to talk about CERB, right? Giving people $2,000 a month and uh, to just survive, just survive through the pandemic and 
not be forced to go into the most dangerous environments in the pandemic. They're making all of this noise about how dare you give working class people anything. Well, this is, the value of CERB has been about $80 billion. But what they don't scream and yell about, all of these uh, right wing commentators who are, are so desperately concerned that you give anything to workers and, and the idea, oh, no, you're stopping people, stop incentivizing people to work. So really, if $2,000 of subsistence pay is stopping people from coming to your workplace, then you're probably an extreme exploitative poverty employer, right? Try upping your wages for once or provide, and providing a safe environment for your workers. Well, uh, for that $80 billion for CERB, there's another $80 billion in forgivable loans to businesses. There's a similar amount in wage sub subsidies. And then they don't talk about this one. There is a $750 billion secret fund to bail out corporations. This is government money that they're not telling the, pop the people which corporations are being bailed out. And these are corporations that are giving dividends. These are corporations that are giving uh, bonuses to their executives. And they are, you know, the worst corporate welfare bums, right? That, and, and this itself is an indictment of capitalism. This shows that capitalism does not work because they are relying upon this government money to survive. For every dollar given to working class people to survive, there's been $10 given to the corporations. That's the present situation. But this, all of this is unsustainable. All of this is unsustainable. They're, they're gonna have to decide eventually, somebody's going to have to pay. Somebody's going to have to pay. Is it the workers or is it the bosses? Because they cannot just keep racking up debt, racking up debt, racking up debt. Although, although the Globe Mail, said, uh, who, who are traditionally a small C conservative paper, they actually issued an editorial saying, no, 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 just rack up debt doesn't matter. It do debt doesn't matter. There were very high debts after the Second World War and, we and uh, Canada and the other uh, capitalist uh, countries paid it off. Well, it was easy to pay it off when there was a five to six percent annual growth rates for 20 years. But that is not on the horizon by any means. It's going if there is going to be any growth, it's going to be one percent, zero percent, negative percent. That's the future that we're facing. And there are no capitalist solutions. There's no monetary solution, solutions of uh, austerity. There are no Keynesian solutions of debt and money printing. The only solution is to tear it all up, to stop production for profit, stop production of profit, and instead produce for need. Instead produce for need. You need to, who actually runs the economy? It is the working class. Who knows how to run the, the economy? It is the working class. You know, ask any uh, billionaire on a yacht, does he know how to build a uh, drywall? I don't think so. I don't think so. 
working class people know how to do that. Uh, actually, the the expertise to plan the economy. There's a, there's a, an interesting book called The People's Republic of Walmart that uh, details how within Walmart and within Amazon and within Google and Apple and these major corporations that have um, revenues uh, the size of uh, G20 countries, that they are a pure planned economy within them. That there's no competition within them. They're a planned economy. They use the most advanced uh, uh, computer uh, planning mechanisms to plan the economy. Uh, but the difference is, is they're planned for profit, private profit. Jeff Bezos has actually massively increased his wealth in this crisis. There's another example of the parasitism. While he's forcing all his workers to work minimum wage and not get bathroom breaks and people fall dead, literally fall dead in his warehouses. And he's massively increased his wealth at the same time during the pandemic. There's a difference between now and 1929. There was great inequality in 1929. The, po the point one richest people controlled 25% of all wealth in 1929. And that's the same today. But the difference is after 1929, uh, in inequality went down. Now inequality is going up. That it, it'll be 30% and 35% the, the super rich control of the wealth of society. So working class people need to take over the economy democratically, run under workers' democracy, workers' control of production, a socialist plan, a socialist planned economy. Working class people already know how to run society and the technique exists. One of the problems of the Soviet Union was that the educational level of the working class was very low and they had to rely upon a a privileged technicians and experts. But today, we've got the most over-educated working class in human history. For every eight PhDs, there's only one job. So we've got incredible education of the working class that we don't need these capitalist parasites anymore. We can run society productively. We can uh, close down what needs closing down in the pandemic and focus on essential services. So nobody needs to needlessly risk their health and safety. We can prioritize all the necessary uh, uh, personal protective equipment and other safety measures. A socialist society planning for need would have no problem with the pandemic. Absolutely not. We'd mobilize the teachers for small class sizes. We'd mobilize the nurses and the doctors to give people the care that they need. Uh, we would not have business secrets in creating the, the um, uh, what's it, uh, the vaccine for the pandemic. We would not have that. We would release all of the information and pull all of the research to get the best science done in the shortest possible time. That's the idea behind a socialist society. That is the only solution. Ownership. You cannot control what you do, not own, and the workers need to take ownership of the commanding heights of the economy. And that's why we need a revolution. 
And that's what the international Marxist tendency and fight back are fighting for. So if you agree with this, join us. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Fight Back Radio. Fight Back is a revolutionary organization fighting for the socialist transformation of society. We are the Canadian section of the international Marxist tendency. We actively seek to educate workers and youth in the genuine ideas of Marxism in order to fight back against capitalist attacks and austerity and bring an end to capitalism. However, we won't be able to do this alone. So if you agree with us, get involved. You can be found online at marxist.ca, on Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok at Canada Marxists, on Instagram at Socialist Fightback, and on YouTube as Fightback La Repost. For international news and analysis, check out In Defense of Marxism at marxist.com. The music in this episode is General Strike by Soul Jazz Orchestra. It can be found at souljazzorchestra.com.